question that I want to ask this evening is, who, who is responsible for Jesus' death on the cross? And we're going to look quickly just at the scripture. We read a little bit of it earlier. And I want to look at some of the parties that we have in this story. And I want us to figure out who is responsible for this. And so uh, Matthew 27, go ahead and put that first slide up for me, Cheryl, of Matthew 27. Let me read this to you and let's just talk this out a little bit. Here's what it says. It says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner who they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now right away in this story, we learn that there is a custom in the time of Jesus, a custom where the Roman governor, who we know of as Pontius Pilate, would release one prisoner to the crowd. Well, what is going on here? Uh, This was in some way a nod from the Roman Empire to this Jewish holiday known as the Passover. Uh, The Passover, if you're not familiar with this, uh, way back in the time of Moses, 1,000, 2,000 years before Jesus ever lived, the, the, the people of Israel were miraculously set free Uh, from slavery in Egypt, and God did that in a supernatural way. And from that point on, they, every single year, the Jewish people would celebrate this holiday of remembrance and remembering that moment when they were set free. Now, apparently, Pilate, in some sort of a nod to that, is willing to release a prisoner. And I want to hang out for a moment on this prisoner that we have named Barabbas, because there's something deeper going on here. First of all, Matthew Matthew, which which we're reading here, tells us that this man was no ordinary uh, criminal. This is a notorious prisoner. In fact, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 15, gives more details on this man. It says, among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. We learn and we know that this man that is put in front of these people next to Jesus is a murderer. He is of a failed revolution is what this was. This man deserves to be in chains. He's a threat to society. He's a threat to himself. He's a threat to those around him. And the question that Pontius Pilate poses to the people there that day is, who do you want me to release for you? Now, if you're following along in the NIV, a different translation, there's another piece of information that I want to show you. Here's the same story in a little different translation. It says, now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. The guy's first name was Jesus Barabbas was his last name. His first name is Jesus. Pilate is giving a choice here of just so happens both of them are Jesus. Which Jesus would you like me to release? But it even gets crazier when you look into this because the meaning of the name Barabbas comes from two Hebrew words. Barabbas, check this out. The first is bar, which means son of. And the second is Abba, which is father The literal translation of Barabbas is son of father. We have Jesus, 
the son of father, lowercase f, and Jesus, son of father, capital F. Listen to the response. Something deeper going on here in verse 20. It says, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. Given the choice between two, between the two, they do not choose Jesus Barabbas, they choose Jesus Messiah to die. Who's responsible here? Who are the guilty parties in our story? Allow me to point out just a few of them. First, we have the religious leaders. They are clearly guilty in the crucifixion story. We just read that the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd. We have something going on. They are weaving in and out of the crowd, whispering to the people, crucify Jesus, release Barabbas. Crucify Jesus, release Barabbas. These are also the people who had arrested Jesus the night before. These are people who had bribed Judas in this process to betray Jesus. They're the ones who had done the dirty work. Clearly, the religious leaders are guilty in the crucifixion of Jesus. You know who else is guilty in this story? Pilate. This Roman governor is guilty, even though he claims to be innocent. Check this out in verse number 24. It says, When Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. But Pilate can claim innocence all he wants. Pilate is clearly guilty in this story. His wife had just told him, have nothing to do with this righteous man. But Pilate is afraid. Pilate listens to the crowd instead of listening to his wife. And we have to remember here, Pilate still has the power. This is the Roman governor in charge of this entire area. He has the power. If Pilate truly believes that this man is innocent, he can easily keep Jesus protected, but he doesn't. In fact, it's clear in this story, Pilate is just too busy protecting himself from the political risk and from the people. He knows if he releases Jesus that he has an issue. He has a riot even on his hand. And who knows, maybe the crowd comes after him. He can feel this situation getting out of control. So even though he believes inside himself that Jesus is innocent, he declares him guilty. In an act of cowardice, he washes his hands in front of the crowd and claims innocent. The religious leaders were guilty. They were part of this. Pontius Pilate is guilty in the crucifixion of Jesus. You know who else is guilty, though, in this story? The crowd. The crowd is guilty. They are far from innocent, though their choice did not come without persuasion. Verse 20, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release? And they said, they is the crowd. Barabbas, Pilate said to them, then who's, they all said, let him be 
crucified. And the crowd makes their decision based on persuasion. They were persuaded by the religious leaders, but it was still their decision to make. Pilate even gives them an out and says to the crowd, but he's innocent. And this crowd declares Jesus. They shouted all the more. They are far from innocent. The religious leaders are guilty in this story. Pilate is guilty in this story. The crowd is guilty. But listen to me, the Bible makes it so clear that the guilt of the crucifixion of Jesus reaches far beyond even those who were there on that day. And the Bible is going to point as far forward as reaching us here today, you are guilty of crucifying Jesus. And I am guilty of crucifying Jesus. This idea comes up even 50 days later after the crucifixion in this Jewish holiday known as Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up in front of this crowd of people and he says this, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. A few verses later, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This is Jesus whom you crucified. The very next chapter, uh, Acts chapter three, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Now that may not sound like anything special, but I need you to understand who he, this is Peter, who Peter is talking to in this story. There is a crowd of people now 50 days later, and the story says that they have come from every nation under heaven and gathered in Jerusalem for that moment. These are not the same people in the crowd of the crucifixion of Jesus. You may have a couple of them that overlapped, but for the most part, this is a crowd of 3,000 people, most of whom were not even there. And yet he says, he says, you killed the author of life. People who are not even there are guilty of crucifying Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. There's an old hymn called, Ah, Holy Jesus. Listen to the words of the second verse. It just says, who was the guilty? Who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus hath undone thee. Twas I... Lord Jesus, I, it was denied thee. I crucified thee. From a scriptural perspective, Jesus was not just crucified by the Romans and the Pharisees and the crowd on that day. But our sin, past, present, future, nailed Jesus to the cross. Isaiah chapter 53 which we've seen again and again tonight, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed, pierced for our sin, crushed for our wrongs. Jesus was crucified because of you. He was crucified because of me. And understand that scripturally at one point we were enemies of God. 
because of our sin. That's Romans chapter 5, but we are reconciled to God because of his son. A few verses earlier in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us us understand all who count Jesus as a friend once counted him as an enemy. The gospel message, understand, the gospel message begins with us understanding that truly Jesus is the Son of God and that our sin killed him. Because understand this, and this may not make sense to you, but if Jesus was not crucified for you, then you would be crucified for you. It's only when we understand that our guilt, that we are guilty, and that we are sinful people that we can finally understand God's grace. It's only when we can come to him with God, I am a sinner, I am wrong, and I am not okay. I'm in need of a savior. It's only by the blood of Jesus that you have anything that we can find the grace that we have in our God. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Music team, I want to ask you to please come. And ushers, I want to ask you to please prepare for communion here, but don't come forward until I ask you to, guys. It is only when we fully begin to understand the weight of our sin and the depth of our guilt that we can fully understand the amazing grace of our God. And in a moment, we're going to take communion together, but I want to urge you tonight not to take this lightly. I want to urge you not to go through the motions and do a churchy tradition thing, but I want to urge you to fully engage in the emotion and the weight of what these elements symbolize. The bread, symbolic of the physical body of Jesus, a body that was brutally broken and beaten and crushed, a body that went through more physical pain than you could ever understand and than you could ever imagine. And as you hold that piece of cracker or bread in your hand, may you be reminded of that, the cup symbolic of the precious blood of Jesus, a blood that was poured out, a blood that was spilt, a blood that sets us free from the weight of our own sin and our own shame. If Jesus was not crucified for you, then you would be crucified for you. It was your sin he bore on the cross, your sin that brought him this. The Bible says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had gathered together his closest followers and he grabs a piece of bread and he breaks it. And this Bible says he gave thanks and he said to them, he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus, we pause for just a moment to focus our attention on your body that was broken, your body that was beaten, 
your body that went through unbearable things so that we could be free, so that we could be healed. Jesus, we do not just take this lightly, but we remember what you did and the price that you paid on that cross in your name we pray. Let's take that part together. And the scripture says that after supper he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said to them, he said, this is my blood that was poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we're going to do things a little bit different tonight with this and that I'm going to pray and my prayer will serve as the end of our service today. And what I ask of you is after I say amen, uh, we're going to have a time of just absolute silence. And I want you to take as much time as you need, whether that's 30 seconds or 30 minutes. And when you are ready, you can go ahead and take the juice and you can lean and you can leave. But we are leaving today in complete silence. And so Jesus... We think of your blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sin to reconcile us with God. We are amazed by your grace and what this means. Jesus, we do not take this lightly. We remember the price that you paid. In your name I pray. Amen. <laughs>